And I know this is uh, the biggest day of the year for Christendom. We celebrate the resurrection and we have all kinds of uh, Easter egg hunts and things, which is not part of the resurrection. But uh, this morning, I want to direct you to a scripture that everybody is familiar with. In John 11, Jesus talking to Mary and Martha, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, this morning, that's what we believe, amen? We believe that he is alive. And so for centuries now, the Christians on, uh, in their greetings, they say to one another, he's risen. And they say he is risen indeed. And that's the way that they greeted each other because that was the most significant thing about their experience with the Lord was that he was alive and he's still alive and he is in our hearts. And so that's what we're going to celebrate this morning, that he has risen. And we're going to talk about all the different parts of that, the, the fact that he was promised, the fact that he suffered and died for us and all the different things we're going to talk about. It. But what we need to remember most of all is that we're celebrating the fact that he is alive. Hallelujah. We're not celebrating his death so much as the fact that he overcame death. Thank you, Jesus. And so this morning, Lord, we choose to worship you. We choose to exalt you and lift you up as the risen Savior, not as the dead Savior, but as a risen Savior. And so we celebrate that, Lord, that you are alive and well, and you choose to live in the hearts of men. You choose to give your life to us so that we can be alive too. He who believes in me, will never die, but have everlasting life. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Come and be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, we exalt you. Yes. Let's worship.
Lord, that's what we rejoice and celebrate in the day, that you are unshakable, you're unchangeable. Hallelujah. You never change. Thank Jesus you. Christ, the same yesterday, yes. today, and forever. Hallelujah. The same God that said, I am the Lord who heals you, you has Jesus. never changed. You're still our healer. The same God who said, I am your good shepherd. The same God that said, I am your banner. The same one that said, I am your provider. The same one that said, I am your righteousness. I'm your peace. I'm the self-existent, all-existent one. And I am that I am. You have never changed, nor will you ever change. You are remaining the same all the time, Lord. And that's what we trust in. We put our faith and our trust in you, Lord. You, Lord God, never change. I thank you, Lord, that you are a risen Savior, Lord Jesus. We celebrate that today. Lord, this morning, for all those who are who are uh, fearful or concerned or anxious about the current situation in this world, Lord, I pray that you would cause your peace to settle over them, Lord. That you would bring revelation and insight into who you are, that they would see you as the unshakable, unchangeable God of the universe that is interested in us in such a personal way that you gave everything you, at great cost to come to live in our hearts, Lord. But this morning, we trust you. For this nation, Lord, we cry out to you. We ask that you would bring healing, healing to those who are sick, Lord. That you'd bring comfort to those who have had loss and sorrow and grief. Lord, that you'd bring sustenance to those who are struggling to make it in these trialing times, Lord. We know that you're our provider. It's only in you, Lord. The circumstances may not change, but our hearts can be filled with joy and peace if we keep our eyes on you. So this morning, Lord, we choose to do that. We call on you, Lord, to heal and deliver and save. Change this nation, Lord, for, for good now that, that we would be different than we've been in the past, that we would repent, or that your people, the body of Christ, would rise up and begin to call on you, turn from our ways where we have accepted less than your very best, Lord. Help us to trust you, to turn to you, and to, to let you do the things that you want to do, Lord. I want to repent and turn, Lord. I want to call on you. I want you to heal and change me. Let it begin with me, Lord. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to have a special song now, Lydia. Let us have it. Who cried out for 
este día en Jerusalén los soldados le abren paso a Jesús mas la gente se I could sing. I like to make a lot of noise, but I wish I could sing like that. Whew. <sighs> Isn't God good? So um, the announcements are still pretty short, although every week we've got a few more things happening. Uh, we've got uh, Bonnie and uh, a lot of the people that work with our children have put together some things. Uh, we've got uh, an egg hunt that uh, you, your kids can do. It's kind of an interactive thing. It's on our website and on our Facebook page. We also got a Good Friday service that's a tour, uh, an Easter tour that's going to be a lot of fun for the kids. Uh, so you can, you can watch those things uh, if you haven't seen them. Uh, and you can go back and watch them over again, even if you miss it uh, during the original time or whatever. So uh, we're excited about what God is doing. And you know, this whole thing is going to be over one of these days and everything's going to go back to normal. And we just need to be ready to, to do the things that God has called us to do because there's going to be a long-term effect. There is going to be a long-term effect. Even when the, the crisis is over, so to speak, people are going to be suffering because of uh, the, the repercussions financially and job loss and all the different things that are happening. So uh, we need to be prepared to act and to share God's love and to encourage people. So uh, we're excited about what the Lord is doing, and I believe that um, the Lord is going to speak to us this morning as we talk about 
the resurrection, but I'm going to talk about a lot of other things besides the resurrection. And uh, because there was a lot of things that, le that led up to the resurrection. You know, that wasn't just a single event in history. It was part of a sequence of events. And by the way, we are going to partake of communion later. And so uh, get your stuff gathered up uh, wherever you are, your cup and whatever you're going to drink and your, uh, your cracker or wafer or bread, and we'll partake of that together at the end. So we've been talking about God with us, and today I want to talk to you about the promise. And the promise, what I'm referring to, is the fact that uh, this, this wasn't something that just started, you know, in the New Testament. The promise was made back in Genesis. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned, and God came down, and he, he cursed the serpent, and he said, you're going to... You're going to be cursed more than any other animal. And he said, and you're going to bruise his heel, and he's going to crush your head, basically. And that was a promise about what Christ was going to do, that he was going to overcome, overcome what the devil did in the garden that day. And so that was the beginning of the promise. And then you look through all the old, the old covenant. There's uh, stories after stories about how God was going to do things. I think it's... Um, it's interesting to note that God is always so thorough, he wants to make sure we get it. He doesn't just say it one time or a couple of times, he says it over and over in multiple ways and, and in different uh, examples and analogies and he makes it very clear to us. And in Deuteronomy 18, <clears throat> Moses is talking to the people and he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst from your brethren, and him you will hear. And he's talking about Jesus. That's in Deuteronomy. That's way back, you know, and he's already saying, God is going to raise up a prophet. It's going to be like me even better because you're going to actually hear him. And so uh, when, if you read closely in the New Testament, you'll see in the Gospels where people would say, you know, is, is this, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the prophet? That's who they're talking about, the prophet. They are talking specifically about this, what Moses said in Deuteronomy, because God had promised that. And then in Isaiah, which is some 700 years prior to Christ's coming, yeah, that was pretty good time before, Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is God with us. And we've been talking about God with us, but this is, this is kind of like the, this is the whole idea right there, is that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so Isaiah in chapter 7, 700 years before Christ came, he said he's going to be born of a virgin and he's going to be God with us. And then in chapter 9 of Isaiah, he said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. These are 700 years before Christ came, and they're, and they're saying exactly who Jesus was and what he was going to do when he came. 
And you would think those people in the day of Christ, they were familiar with the Old Testament. They would be looking for that and expecting that. And some of them were. Matter of fact, in the, in the accounts of the birth of Christ, uh, some of them, um, Simeon was waiting at the temple. He went to the temple every day, and he, he was praying that he could see the Lord's Christ before he died. He was an old man. There was a, there was a little lady that went and prayed every day, and, and she was looking for Christ. So there were people that were looking, but generally, uh, when Jesus came, his own people, the one that should have been looking for him, rejected him. And in John 1, we read that. It says, he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. But to those that did receive him, those he gave the power or the right to become sons of God to as many as believe in his name. That's a pretty good promise. So John the Baptist was proclaiming Christ's coming. He was preaching repentance, and he was telling everybody the Messiah is coming, and I'm just preparing the way for him. One day he looks up, and he sees Jesus, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. So he understood. He understood the whole thing, that God had been promising that for all these years, literally thousands of years, that God had been promising that he was going to send that perfect lamb as a sacrifice. And in the Old Covenant, in the law, they had sacrifices, and they had very specific rules how they were to do it all. In the Passover, they would select a lamb on a certain day. I think it was the 11th day. And they would keep that lamb for three days to inspect it to make sure it was really perfect and without any spot or blemishes. And a lot of people believe that they actually would bring it into their home and they would treat it like a pet. They would, they would look at it and they would inspect it and they would play with it. It seems kind of cruel, and yet it helped them understand the significance of someone dying for you. And I think we, we miss out on that significance because we're, we're far removed from blood sacrifices. We're far removed from that whole concept. And so it's a little hard for us to recognize that sometimes. But the, but the fact is that there was, there was pain involved not only in the sacrifice but in those that were preparing the sacrifice. And we read in some of these scriptures as we go along, that'll be a little more meaningful to you, I hope. But and then I want to read this passage of, uh, of scripture out of uh, Isaiah 53. Again, 700 years before it happened, beginning in verse 1. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, he's just a plain guy. He is despised and rejected by men. And I just read that to you out of John 1, where he came to his own and his own rejected him. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, 
and by his stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Wow. There's, there's so much there, and, and that's basically saying in multiple different ways that he did all that for us. We are sinners. He was innocent. We are transgressors. He was obedient in all points. He was worthy, we're unworthy. He did all that for us because he loves us. That is what we need to understand. And, and we can focus on his suffering, but I would rather, I'd rather focus on what he accomplished in the suffering, not the suffering in itself. Although every now and then it's good to just think about what he endured for us because it was not just something simple. And by the way, one of the most difficult things for him, I believe, was that he, he suffered all that and he didn't cry and whine about it and say, golly, I'm not even guilty. You know, it was your fault. He said, I'll gladly take your sins upon me. It's pretty amazing that Emmanuel... God with us would choose to take our sins. He who knew no sins became sin for us, that we could be the righteousness of God in him. In Philippians 2, 5, <clears throat> says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and, and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> so I'm telling you all these different scriptures because I want you to get kind of a panoramic view of what, what God did. 
This wasn't something that he just thought up one day and said, I'll send Jesus. This was something that he, he planned from the foundation of the world. Because God is not surprised. God was not surprised by Adam and Eve's failure. You know, I think he was probably disappointed that they did it. But he wasn't surprised by it. He already had a, a lamb that was prepared from the foundation of the world, so that was no big surprise to him. But God was preparing all throughout the Old Testament. He was preparing his people so that we would be ready to receive his son. So over and over, he showed us what it was going to look like. Over and over, he showed us how it was going to work. And then when, when it came time, Jesus, who was, was part of the triune God, he was with the Father in glory in heaven, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and he chose of his own free will, he chose to set aside all of his glory come down and become a man, to live as a man. He was literally the God-man because he was both. He was still fully God, and yet he'd set aside all of his godly attributes, and he did the things that he did as a man in the flesh, and he did it in the power of the Spirit, just like we can do it. He did have one huge difference, is that he was born of a virgin, and he, he had no sinful nature in him because he had no inherent sin. He didn't inherit sin from him because God was his father. And remember last week we talked about the overshadowing? So when he was, was in Mary's womb, the Holy Spirit overshadowed him and cleansed all those rays of glory, shined in, cleansed all that so there was no inherited sin. He wasn't born with sin. He didn't come with generational things or passed down things or genetic things. He was perfect from the very beginning, from the time of his conception. And when he lived, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that he, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He grew up just as a, as a child like all of us, and he had to learn obedience. And he never sinned, but he had to learn things. And, you know, when he went to the, he went to the temple when he was 12, he hung out even after his family had gone, and he stayed. And they came back three days later and found him. And they, you know they were they were upset. You know any parent would be upset. You know I'm, I'm three days, I'm probably a day and a half away and a day and a half back to find you. And it's like man, you know you went to a lot of trouble. Where were you? And his answer was, well, didn't you know I'd have to be about my father's business? And they were probably like, no, we didn't know that. You were supposed to be with us. And so the Bible says that Jesus went with them and was subject to them. That means he submitted to their authority because they were his parents. And he learned. It's like, oh, okay, it's not really okay to just do what I want to do. I have to, I have to submit myself to them. And he learned obedience by going through difficult and challenging things. That's the same way that we learn. We go through difficult experiences, we learn things. And we need to learn in Hebrews, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, <clears throat> Paul's talking about this whole notion of, uh, of the resurrection. He said, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, uh, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. 
And after that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me as one that was born out of due time. And then a little further down in that chapter, he said, But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and afterward those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So, Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. And the great thing about the celebration of the resurrection is that we are celebrating our own future resurrection as well. He is the first fruits, and we are to follow. So, because Christ rose from the dead, we know that there is a resurrection that is waiting for us. We don't know exactly when it's going to be or how it's all going to play out. You know, there's all the talk about the rapture and the coming, and, you know, I don't know how that's going to be. I just know it's going to happen sometime, and we're going to be with him. If we've died, then we're going to be resurrected. If we happen to still be alive when he comes back, then we're going to be glorified. And whether we're caught up together in the air like a rapture or whether it's just the second coming, I don't even care because I'm going to be with him. And that's all that matters. And so there's no point in fretting about all the details about is it going to happen before or after the tribulation or during the tribulation or is there going to be this or that or, you know, whatever. How about we just work for Jesus right now? We used to sing this little song, you know, we'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be carried home. That's what we need to be focused on. Not when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. Let's focus on doing what we've been called to do. Jesus said, look, I know you guys are going to be upset. You're going to be, you're going to be confused and you're going to be sad, but this is the deal. A grain of wheat doesn't do anything unless it dies and goes in the ground and then it can multiply and produce a lot of fruit. And he said, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to raise from the dead, and when I do, then the fruit's going to start flowing. And that's what you need to get your eyes on. And he said, look, by the way, this is the whole reason I came. Am I going to, am I going to ask God to spare me this grief or to take this away? No, that's why I came. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my, my life as a ransom for many. That's the whole reason that Christ came. He didn't come so he could be the God-man and get a lot of glory and praise from us, he came to redeem us. That's the most phenomenal thing to me, to think. The creator of the universe, and that's what John says, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, it was there with God, and there was not anything that was created that was not created without him. And then it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's who it is. The Word is Jesus. The very Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us so that we would know who God is and we could understand who God is and how we can relate to Him. And we could understand this plan that, that God went to all this trouble 
and pain to make a way so that we could have this relationship with him. It's pretty amazing to think that, that God would do that for us. And do we deserve it? No. But we ought to be excited about it because now that we have salvation as his people, we are worthy. You know, I mean, not in our own strength, but in him we are. Because when God looks at us, he doesn't look at our miserable failures and brokenness. He looks at Christ in us, the hope of glory. You can get excited about that. Don't have to get a big head, but you can get excited about the fact that you are something special to God. God says you are a special treasure. You are a special people above and beyond anything else in all the creation. You, my people, are a special treasure. Let's talk about the resurrection a little bit. In Luke 24, after Jesus had, had risen from the dead, and by the way, you know, there's all kinds of wonderful things you could talk about about the resurrection, you know. Uh, the, they all ran to the tomb, you know, to check it out, and, and they saw the angels, and, and by the way, the angels, you know, were all shining and white, and we talked about the glory of God last week. The resurrection is filled with the glory of God, just like the birth of Christ was filled with the glory of God. The stars and the glory of God, their peace on earth, goodwill to men, all that at his birth. And then what does the angel say? Peace, it's all cool. And by the way, why are you searching for the living among the dead? He's not here, man. He's risen. Go tell my disciples. Go tell them. Because he's alive. He's not dead anymore. So Jesus, he showed himself to uh, to numerous people, but he was trying to help them understand about how all this worked. And in Luke 24, it says, He said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. In other words, they've been kind of dense up to that point. And even though they had read the scriptures, they had heard the scriptures from their youth, they didn't understand everything that they meant. But Jesus said, look, now I'm going I'm to I'm reveal it to you. Because remember, that's what, that's what Jesus came to do, right? Is to make the Father manifest to us. He was the express image of the Father, right? So when Jesus came, he said, here's what I'm coming for. I'm going to open your eyes and your understanding so you can understand the scriptures and you can see what God has done for you and how I am the fulfillment of all that God has promised. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. And now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, the reason I want us to understand that is because this is all great and glorious about the resurrection, but he did give us a job, and he did say, be my witnesses. And he did say, 
Don't go out and do it on your own strength. I'm going to give you this endowment of power, the filling, uh, the filling and baptism of the Holy Spirit so that, that we can do the things that we've been called to do. Don't just go out and do it in your own strength, but let him give you the fullness of the Spirit so that you can go out and do the things that we're supposed to do. So, yes, we're supposed to be shouting the glory and just like they did. They worshiped. Man, they went back. They were excited. They started meeting in homes and breaking bread and doing all that. They were, they were having a great, glorious time. But they were also testifying about the risen Savior. And they were saying, look, we understand it now. We've heard this all of our lives, but now we understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of all those scriptures, that he was going to be the, the virgin that was born, or the born of the virgin. He was the guy. He was the one. It was Jesus of Nazareth. That's who it was. And we saw him in the flesh, and now we've seen him after he was resurrected from the dead. And, and the church was born in the power of the resurrection. Now, today... Sometimes I think the church is living in something else rather than the power of the resurrection. But we need to get back to that because that same power that raised Christ from the dead is what is working in us as we are believers and as we are walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Now, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, you got a problem with your salvation experience because that, that is part of it. I mean, you cannot separate the resurrection from the salvation experience. So you have to understand that the resurrection is very powerful and meaningful in our, not only in our belief system, but in our personal lives. We need to have an understanding of what the resurrection means. It is significant. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's something that's happening in us as well. Now, in this life, and it will happen in the future. And the final scripture I want to share with you is Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means... I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul is writing to the, the church in Philippi, and he's saying, look, I, you know, I've got all this great uh, pedigree behind my name. I did all this stuff, but I've put all that aside because I realize that all that's not going to gain me anything, and I want to just focus on who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. And he said, so... I don't really want to know anything. I don't really want to focus on anything else. I don't want to be consumed by anything else. I don't want to, I don't want to be concerned with any other thing other than knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And then he went on and said the part that none of us really like to hear. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Ooh, 
I might want to pass on that part, and being conformed to his death. But I think it's really significant that we understand that because you can't, you can't really understand and know who Christ is and understand the power of the resurrection if you're not willing to embrace a little bit of inconvenience and suffering and be conformed to his death. Like I said earlier, Jesus said, I didn't come to be worshiped. I didn't come to be served like a king. I came to serve you and to give myself as a ransom for you guys. And so we as his people are supposed to be like him. That means we need to be prepared to not only know him, know who he is and know his heart, but be willing to serve in the same way that he did so that, that we can experience the fullness of his power in us. Because if, if we only want the easy stuff, if we only want the good stuff, we're going to miss out on a lot of what God wants to do. The power of his resurrection, that word power is dunamis, it's the dynamite power. And that is what works in us. And so, you know, we talked about the, the glory shining into us last week. And that, that glory shining into us is what causes all of this stuff to happen into, in, in our lives. So with the power of the resurrection, that dunamis power is working in us. And when we allow God to reveal himself through those, those rays of glory, those beams shining into us, and we begin to see who he is, and we begin to see who we are and the things in us that, that need to be changed, then that same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead can raise us up to newness of life. And, you know, like Jerry Brooks sings that song, The Old Man is Dead, you know? I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about. We're raised up to a new life in Christ, and the old man is dead. Now, he tries to, he tries to resurrect himself sometimes. We've got to make sure he stays dead. But the truth is, that it's the power of the resurrection that's working in us that we need to be embracing. And we need to pray that way. Don't just blindly, you know, say, man, I wish I could do better. He's given us a plan. The plan is you recognize I've got flaws and weaknesses, and you confess those. You submit yourself to God. The Bible says the devil has to flee from you. He can't dominate you. And Christ came to, to win the victory over death, hell, and the grave. And so all of those things are defeated. And we read that earlier about that he's going to rule and reign until all of his enemies are under his feet. Now they are positionally under his feet, but, but we are learning to walk that out so that it becomes an experience in our lives where we are walking in the fullness of the power of the resurrection. So... We're going we're gonna to partake of uh, the Lord's Supper, and uh, as we do that, I want us to do that with this, this in mind, that this is an opportunity for you to, to look into your heart, let those, let those glory rays shine into you, and let, let the Lord show you areas in your life that maybe you could, you could stand to change. Maybe some things that you need to lay down. Maybe there's some things that you are holding on to that you just need to lay down. 
And I believe that, that this is uh, one of the things that we're supposed to do every time we partake of, of the Lord's Supper. It is an opportunity for us to evaluate our lives, look into our lives, and, and think about the things that we believe that God would like to say and do and change in us. And, and uh, Corinthians, Paul said, let, let, let your, you know, a man examine himself before you partake of this. And I don't, I don't make too much out of that, except that uh, we, ought to, we ought to consider the purpose of it. And the purpose is that Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Because when you do that, you're remembering my death and my resurrection, and you're celebrating that. And all that, that means in you until I come again. And so there is, uh, <clears throat> there's nothing significant about the wafer itself, whether it's a, a cracker, a piece of bread, or whatever. The significance is that this represents the body of Christ. It represents what happened to him for us. And Jesus, on the night that they partook uh, on the Last Supper, he says he took the bread and he broke it. He broke it. And then it says that he blessed it. He gave it to him and he said, Take, for this is my body, broken for you. And we know that when Jesus took those stripes on his back, and when he took the nails in his hand and the whipping, the spear in his side, all that horrible stuff he endured, that was for us so that our physical bodies could be healed, so that our souls could be healed, that our brokenness in our hearts could be healed. He doesn't want us to be the same old way. He wants us to be raised up to newness of life. And so, Lord, we acknowledge your sacrifice. and We proclaim your death and your resurrection. And as often as we do this, we do it to proclaim that, Lord. And we also proclaim now that you are our healer. You are our redeemer, our deliverer. You are the bread of life that came down from heaven to give us life. Raise us up to newness of life now. In Jesus' name, let's partake. And in the same manner, it says he took the cup. And he, he blessed it. And he said, take this and drink it. Drink it all. Because this is the blood of the new covenant. Now this isn't really blood that we're drinking, but it represents the blood. And the blood, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Everything in this life that we have that is good or, or alive is because of our blood. And because of the blood of the Lamb, then we can have victory over sin. We can have victory over guilt and shame. We can have victory over all the attacks of the enemy. We have that dunamis power living and working in us, in us to raise us up to newness of life so that we can be changed, be like him. We can see like Jesus, hear like Jesus, speak like Jesus, think like Jesus, touch people like Jesus because we have Jesus in us. And we have the mind of Christ. So Lord, we proclaim all the provision of your blood. And we proclaim the victory of your sacrifice and especially the resurrection. 
Let's partake together in Jesus' name. <clears throat> so now as we get ready to, to close uh, one last song of worship, I want to encourage you guys that as we do this, this is going to be an opportunity for you to allow the Lord to speak into your heart and life. This is not, this is not just uh, something that we do once a month. This is a special time because it's, it's a celebration of the Passover and the, the suffering and death and resurrection of the Savior. I believe that the Lord wants to, to speak to each one of us. We sang that, that song earlier. He's calling us to the cross. He's calling us all by name. So you guys come on back up. Let's, let's allow the Lord to call each, one of, each of us by name as we worship and as we sing. I just want to encourage you, listen, because God is speaking to us. He is calling each of us, and he's calling us to a closer, deeper walk with him. He made this new, wonderful, living way that we can enter into his presence, go right through the veil that was torn, go right into the very presence of God, and he made that way so that, that we can know him and experience him, be like him. So as we worship, I encourage you, let him speak to you. Let him, let him reveal himself to you.
Sometimes I don't think I see all that great, but I can see, and I'm so thankful that God never gave up on me. He never turns me away. He never rejects me. He always loves me, and He always reaches out to me and says, Come. Come to me. So if you don't know Jesus, today can be the day. It's a simple prayer. You just say, Lord, I confess I'm a sinner. I don't, I don't know what to do exactly, but I know that you are the answer. And I give myself to you, and I ask that you forgive me. Come and live in my heart. Let me know you like we've been talking about this morning. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer for anything else, just agree with someone uh, close to you and say, Lord, heal me by your stripes. I proclaim your healing over me. If you need a miracle in some other area of your life, then say, Lord, I, I trust you. My eyes are on you. And my faith is on you, Lord. And Lord, we as your people, we proclaim healing and health over this nation. We proclaim victory over this coronavirus. And we say in Jesus' name, go back where you came from. Go back to hell where you came from. In Jesus' name. We say be healed in Jesus' name. We proclaim victory over this. You would heal this nation, restore life. Yes. Restore righteousness to this nation, Lord. And let your people rise up and be the body of Christ as you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his perfect peace. Thank you, Jesus. Go in Jesus' name. And one last thing. He is risen. Hallelujah. He is, he is risen, risen indeed. indeed. Amen. Amen.